Hi, Sue. Hey, Darcy. How's it going? It's going. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I mean, (laughs) yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the most anticlimactic New Year, I feel like, just because everyone had such a rough year. So they're like, yay, it's over. But also, it's not over. It's not. (laughs) It's just not (laughs) over. Like, New Year doesn't mean that everything is all better all of a sudden. Right. It's just funny because, like, no one said New Year, New Me. No one had resolutions. (laughs) Like, nothing. No. (laughs) No, I agree. One of my friends actually posted a picture of herself at the gym on New Year's Day. (laughs) And the gym was empty. And she was like, where is everybody? Because it's usually (laughs) January 1st. The gym is packed full of people that are, like, ready to get in shape. And she was like, there's nobody here. (laughs) Oh, oh, my God. Man. And for we did have um, I have this these friends. They're a couple and like he's been working from home and completely quarantined. Mm-hmm. And she works in a job where she has like very little exposure to people. And like when she does, she there's obviously like extreme safety measures that they take. So mm-hmm. we trusted their safety measures. They trusted our safety measures. So we had um, them over and we played some some cards and listened to music and hung out. It was really nice to socialize. Nice. But then when when the new year came in, like when it was time to do the like watch the ball drop and do the countdown, like right. we all like stood in my living room and did it. And then we were like, yay. <laughs> yay. The most yay. unenthusiastic yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was really it was really pretty late. So Oh my god. Um, so funny. But then, you know, had my usual weekend adventures with the boyfriend and it was really fun. We went ice fishing a nice. bunch and we went and found um there's this thing and I don't know if it's just a Minnesota thing. I'm sure it's just like a north thing. Like if you live where it's cold <laughs> enough that lakes freeze, people do this, but um someone had created an ice carousel. So they oh, I like, saw that. <laughs> It's so cool. They cut out this giant perfect circle in the ice on the lake and then they hook like a motor to the to one of the edges so that it spins. So and you can like go walk around. There's like a fire in the middle and it was it was like a really cool thing. So we kind of went on a mission to go find that and check it out. And it was really cool. So that is really cool. Yeah, that was my adventure. Did you do anything fun? I had I honestly will say this has been the best new year like the most stress-free, relaxing new year ever. Like I went to bed at 11 p.m. Like I didn't even, I didn't give a (laughs) shit. I was like, whatever, I'm going to be asleep and like (laughs) I'm just going to ease into 2021. And a friend of mine had, um, well, I had purchased, but I also, she also gifted me a bunch of, well, our mutual friend um, gifted Mm -hmm. us a bunch of edibles. And I just, (laughs) I ate like (laughs) way too much. I, like her stuff is so good that I like couldn't just eat like half a cookie or like half a cereal bar or whatever so I ended up eating like an entire I think I nibbled on like three different things but I think I ate an entire cookie and then I nibbled on three other things because I was like oh well no. I need to taste them <laughs> <laughs> so I ate I think I ate like a burrito and then I watched TV for a bit and then I just like washed up and went to bed and I had like the best sleep ever. I woke up like completely refreshed on New Year's Day, like no hangover, no nothing. And Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was so nice. Like I've never had such a stress-free like holiday season before. Like to me 2020 holiday was very very relaxing. And I can that's I've good. never said that before. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah, no complaints here. I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I have a ghost. Um, well, that's our cue to go into this week's topic. Um, so this week is a continuation of last week. So this is um, episode two in the series of covering red flags yes. from the book Psychopath Free by Jackson McKenzie. Got to give credit where credit's due. He um, lists all 30 of these red flags and goes into much more detail about exactly what they are and what they mean. Um, But we are going to share 
Numbers 11 through 20 today and just talk about our own examples of what we experienced in terms of these red flags. Yep. Um, So number 11 is that you fear any fight could be your last. And I feel like this is something you can talk a little bit more about. I don't know that I have a ton to share on this one. Yes. So I felt like any blowout fight that we had, um, there was always like an ultimatum attached to it where I felt as though, you know, like at any given moment within this fight, he's going to end things and that would be it. And like Mm -hmm. he had me wrapped around his finger so intensely at that point that like that fear was so crippling to me. Like I didn't want to lose my, you know, my relationship especially my marriage your marriage yeah yeah so like the ultimatum was always like oh you know I'm really getting sick of this Sue like I'm really getting sick of you and this behavior and usually the behavior equated to a reaction to something that was happening like you know me being like you know anxious about possible and you know infidelity I'm not exactly sure. Like, I can't think of any, like, specifics right now, but it was always an ultimatum to the point where I always feared that the relationship was going to end. And Yeah, like, if you keep fighting like this, you're going to lose me kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and it was, like, yeah. my fault, and it was something that I needed to fix in order to save the relationship and that I needed to mm-hmm. change. So, yeah, yeah, it was always thrown back at me. Yeah. See, and I just, I just stopped fighting, like, I guess, because I just, I got so sick of, like, the, the arguments and he was always right. I was always wrong. And I just could never win, I guess. And not that a relationship should ever be about, like, winning a winner or a loser. But, like, I just, I never was, you know, given the opportunity to be, like, validated. Yeah. And so I just... I, I gave up. So, like, we really didn't fight. Like, we had those huge, big fights in, like, the first five years of our marriage. And then I just gave up. So yeah. I never really experienced that, like, this fight could be the last. But that, I feel um, like it's a different kind of, um, like, that breaks you down in a different way. Like, that, he really broke you down to the point yeah. where you felt as though your voice didn't matter, your opinion didn't matter, your input in the relationship just didn't matter at all. So, right. Yeah. Very much so. That's like scary too. Yeah. And that came from, I mean, number 12 is that they slowly and steadily erode your boundaries. And I feel like that started right away, but it was, it was very slow and meticulous. So like, I think I shared last week a little bit about how like he asked my body count and he used that to shame me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something that you know, it was, it was very slow and meticulous. Like he waited till he knew he had me hooked. And then it was, I'm going to shame her and devalue her over this. And he would do other things like, like make fun of me or make, make me seem stupid in front of friends and family, which then I would take him aside and be like, Hey, that made me uncomfortable or made me sad when you did that, or made me feel really small when you did that. And he would just be like, oh, you're being too sensitive. I was just joking, blah, 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 blah. So like slowly I started to just put up with that. Um, And then another way that he did it too was like, I was, I've been working in retail pretty much my entire life and I wasn't in the beauty industry yet, but I was working retail when we first started dating. I was just like working in like a department store selling purses and necklaces and things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like I liked to put on a little bit of makeup and look nice for work. I work in retail. It's all about how you present yourself. Right. And he would be like, why are you putting on all that makeup? Like, who are you trying to impress? What guys are you trying to pick up? And initially I would like fight him on it and be like, I'm just trying to look nice for work. This is about me feeling good about myself and having my confidence. And he would just turn it into a fight every time that eventually I just gave in and I stopped wearing makeup to work. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was, he would fight me on everything that was, that was me basically. (laughs) And like just slowly taught me that, I couldn't stand up for myself. It was futile and it was, it would just be a fight and I'd end up losing in the end anyway. Right. And so I just stopped protecting any of my boundaries for the most part. That sucks. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I don't know if this exactly falls into this category because it does say 
they criticize you with the condescending, joking sort of attitude. Um, like, he couldn't, he couldn't get around the fact that I was considered funny amongst my friends. Mm. Like, I, you know, I, I, like, said it in passing early on in the relationship. I was like, oh, yeah, my friends think I'm funny. And he's like, they think you're funny? And I'm like... <laughs> Like, why is that so hard to believe? Yeah, they think I'm funny. Like, you think I'm funny. Like, you laugh at yeah. my shit all the time. And then you also, <laughs> like, repeat my jokes in front of your friends and then make it seem like it was your idea. And then they all laugh thinking, like, that was really fucking funny. But meanwhile, like, I said that shit. So, yes, I do mm-hmm. feel like I'm funny. And he kind of, like, undermined me. And he's like, oh, you got jokes? And then that was, like, an ongoing joke for him. Like, anytime. I would say like, oh yeah, like, and I said that and people were laughing. They're like, oh, you got jokes. Like that was like his, his little catchphrase that he would say to me uh, to like undermine that's my, so weird. yeah, it was like a weird thing, but it annoyed the shit out of me because I'm like, I know I'm fucking funny. Like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like he was also funny too. I'm like, I'm not going to say he wasn't funny. Like I only date people right. who are funny because like, why the fuck not? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise it'd be really fucking boring, you know? Right. Yeah, we got to laugh together. For sure. Right. I'm glad you're giving him credit there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, he was funny. Like, sense he of humor that. is huge. And obviously, yeah. you know, he had the charisma, so he was able to lure people in with his ability to be funny and charismatic and whatever. So, yeah. Like, that part, that part really pissed me off. Like, it would get under my skin, and he knew exactly which buttons to press to, like, really piss me off. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. I I think mm. it falls in that category, but I'm not entirely sure. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's definitely like a devaluing thing for him to do that, right? So, yeah, it might fall there. It's it's definitely somewhere under these for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, number thirteen is they withhold attention and undermine your self esteem. So. For this one, and the attention obviously doesn't always have to be physical attention, um, but mine very much like weaponized the physical attention Um, from it was very shortly after we started moving or started living together that he would start to sleep on the couch like he just wouldn't come to bed. And it wasn't like we'd had a fight. I mean, of course, if we had a fight, like he was sleeping on the couch, which I have different thoughts about that now. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody should ever sleep on the couch. But um, and maybe it's because of this. (laughs) I don't know. Like, maybe maybe it's an extreme overcorrection. Um, But he started to kind of sleep on the couch like more and more. And then he would get upset with me if we hadn't been intimate for a while and I'd be like well come sleep in my bed and we'll see what happens you know like if you actually sleep with me I might feel close to you and that might come back Mm -hmm. um and he would come sleep with me for one night nothing would happen of course because for me it takes more than one night of like sleeping in the same bed to feel like a physical intimacy with someone right um when you've been married for a while but then he would get like really super mad that he didn't get laid and he'd go back to sleeping on the couch. And yeah, and it was like, he was very much weaponizing our physical relationship and he was withholding that. Like, like he knew that him sleeping in the same bed with me would make me feel safe and comfortable and emotionally close and all sorts of things. And he like, he very, took that away very, from you. very meticulously withheld that from me. Wow. And wow. I would say that for the last probably like five to six years of our marriage, we probably only slept in the same bed a dozen times. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the very end, he would even like, because I was going into extreme like fight for my marriage mode, I was right. becoming very sexual. Mm-hmm. And he would, we would do it, and then he would leave and go sleep in the guest bed. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That's so insulting. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, literally withholding, like, physical attention um, and using that to undermine my self-esteem, for sure. Like, I got got what I needed, and then now I'm going to go sleep on the couch. That's... Yeah. That's crazy to me. Wow. Yeah. It was horrible. Horrible. 
Well, I feel like for me, it was definitely attention because um, I definitely mm-hmm. didn't get, I've mentioned this in like previous episodes about like just never being home. And that was like huge for me because in, in the in the beginning when he had started this job, um, we made a compromise that, okay, yes, like you do have to do, you do have after work obligations to like go to shows and like, you know, be present and schmooze with clients and like build that relationship because like essentially that's what you and I do for work too anyway. So like I understand that, but it was always after hours. So he had like the standard nine to five, but then was required to do like this extra amount of, you know, networking after because like all obviously all shows are like at night, like after dinner. Right. So like, we compromised initially like two, three days out of the week, he would come home and like we would spend quality time. And, you know, quality time is like my second love language. So it's really important to me. And mm-hmm. so is acts of service. And like, I feel like those two kind of tie in together really nicely because it's like you just showing up for me is an act of service because you're you're committed, right? right? So right. that was slowly, slowly taken away from me. And I would say, like, maybe the last five years of the marriage, it was just me, like, vying for his attention and, like, just, like, Mm. pleading. That's why I think that um, two years ago when I did have that suicide attempt, it was Mm. because I had reached my breaking point of not getting any attention and then having it dangled in front of me and then that hope being completely dashed Mm. and, like, taken away from me. Because it's yeah, like that I was had, a huge trigger. Yeah, it was like such a buildup to it being another letdown, like another huge letdown and another big disappointment, and being like rejected essentially. Like I was rejected for a client. Yeah, like, that's that's like not the okay. worst possible. Yeah. yeah, like I actually would tell him, I'm like, here is a list of your priorities, and I listed. All of these things, and then I'm like, oh, and then there's me. And I was like, maybe yeah. like 10 down from the list. And I'm like, this yeah. is a problem. And I get that, like, in a marriage, like in, an, in any relationship, like, you are your own person, you are autonomous, so is your spouse or your partner, and you're supposed to have like separate full lives, but like, ours never or rarely intertwined. Right. And that was where the problem lied. And then that's what I was lacking. And I felt like a shell of a person because it at that point, my life revolved around him and what he was doing and what like, you know, what, what he wanted from me. Right. Yeah. Well, and and even though like people, you sh- yes, you should be autonomous, but you should never feel like those other parts of their life are more important than you, with some exceptions, of course. Like, right. With my boyfriend, obviously his kids are always going to be his number one priority. I completely understand that. Like, Mm -hmm. if I'm in crisis and one of his kids is in crisis, the kid is probably going to take priority. Like, I pretty much understand that. But, like, yeah, he loves to go hunting. Do I love to go hunting? No, I'm not really into, like, doing the whole shooting the animals thing. Like, that's (laughs) not really my jam. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like, and and I would never like take that away from him. But if I were in some sort of crisis or if I was like, listen, I know you had this thing planned, but I really need you for whatever reason, I would expect if it was legitimate for him to put me first. Right. You know? Right. No, I'm not going to abuse that and be like, oh, I just need your attention. I don't want you to go hunting with your boys this weekend. No, right. I would have to be like. Like, something bad has happened and I need you, like, you know? Yeah, but, no, that's a um, great example, actually. Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't, but you wouldn't, it, and I, I'm 100% supportive of him having those hobbies that I'm not involved in and vice versa. Like, even with this, for example, like, this podcast, right. like, he's, yeah. I'm like, we're going to record tonight. And he's like, cool, go do your thing, have fun, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, if he were to text me and be like, hey, you know, something happened and I really need your help with this, I'd be like, hey, Sue, we're going to have to postpone and do a rain check for tomorrow. Right. Because I have to be there for my person. Right. Um, 
Yeah, you should never feel like you're number 10 on someone's list. Ever, 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 Right. Ever. No, it was, like, crazy because, like, his work and everything that he loved to do always trumped me. And it didn't matter. And I understand that, like, everyone has hobbies and passions and things like that. But it shouldn't be to, to the point where, like, your spouse is on the back burner. Like, I was constantly on the back burner. So, yeah. like, that for me was huge. And it destroyed me. Like, I think at one point it did destroy me. And that was, like, the unraveling part and, like, the part that really broke me. And that's the realization that I had. I'm like, I need to get the fuck out because I am, I'm not a person anymore. Like, I'm, like, not even alive. Like, I'm just basically a dead woman walking at this point. Yep. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean because same like, I just didn't even know who I was, what I wanted, what was important to me. Yeah. What delighted me, what made me sad. I was just this numb shell of a human. And so you feel, like, feel unworthy you. of their love because, yes, like, they're withholding it, but you also feel unworthy of, like, anyone's love. And that was, like, mm-hmm. the saddest part, I think, because it, I even felt like I wasn't good enough for my family. I wasn't good enough for my friends or my job, like... I just felt like completely worthless. And I think that that like that, I think, ties in with the eroding of your boundaries and like all of these other things, because it's like they slowly chip away at who you are and like what makes you you and like what makes you great and what makes you happy Mm -hmm. and lovable and all of that. Like just you just don't have that anymore. Yeah. And it's so slow and steady that you don't even realize it's happening until all that's left is this toxic relationship that you're fighting for and you don't even know why. Right. Yeah. Um, This next one I feel like is definitely going to be more something that you can share about. Um, So number 14 is they expect you to read their mind. I don't, I don't feel like mine did that too terribly much. Maybe I'm just having a hard time remembering. I'm sure he did, but yeah, um, I feel like you definitely have more to say on that. Well, I mean, I did admit guilt with this too because like I met, you know, my my relationship started when I was 20 years old. Like I was fresh out of um, like my first year of college, I believe. And I only had one other relationship to really compare things to. And like communication wasn't exactly something that I think we're taught, especially if you didn't have like a good, you know, relationship example like with your parents or you know other role models in your life and I am guilty of like just not being able to communicate but I also felt like my voice was stifled so I didn't always want to communicate because I was scared of the outcome and like scared of the repercussions more than anything but also with him um the like reading of the mind was always when like all of a sudden he would just be like, I, I don't love you anymore. I want to break up or, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is good. Like maybe we should end things. Like there were a couple of times when he wanted to end the relationship. He like was like, I don't love you anymore. I don't think that mm. like, I'm not in love with you anymore. Like I love you, but I'm not like enamored with you anymore. And huh. there was never any like warning. There was never any like direct communication where yes we would fight about things and yes things would come up more than once but there was never any resolve it never came to a point because like basically what would happen is that the ex would just talk in circles and this I realize Mm -hmm. is like a really crazy tactic that they use is that they talk in circles and circles and circles and circles to the point where they exhaust you and then you're in like a complete mind fuck and you're confused and you a like maybe don't even remember what you were fighting about and then uh-huh. if you do remember what you were fighting about you are so confused that you don't know how to resolve it because um you know like let's say i have a problem with xyz that you do and this is how it makes me feel all of a sudden it'll become no like this problem is because of you and what you do the xyz stuff that you do is what makes me feel shitty And that's why I do the thing that I do. Like, they basically throw it back into your court. (laughs) You're like, what? What? What's happening? Like, what is going on? (laughs) There's too much math involved. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what you're 
I'm saying is it's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like So I, I would ugh. just get so confused to the point where, like, nothing would ever get resolved. And that's why, for me, like, it would always catch me off guard when he wanted to end things. Because I'm like, well, you never really, um, like, really laid it out or expressed that you were, like, unhappy with this aspect of the relationship. Like, the first yeah. time I think he said that I wasn't ambitious enough like, in my career or, like, wanting a career or, like, he said I didn't push myself hard enough or that I, like, wasn't making enough money or I forget what the case was, but it was something along the lines of that. And I'm like, you had never shared this information with me. So how am I supposed to work on that part or that you were disappointed about this? But also, like, that's not something that you say to your your significant other either. You're not like, hey, your job mm-hmm. is shitty I'm leaving you because it's shitty. Like, you're not making enough money. That's usually not a healthy relationship to begin with, but it was never something that we discussed. Hmm. Or we did, but I'm like, yeah, I'm trying. But, you know, 2008, like, our economy was shit, and it was still shit when I graduated. You know, like, it just wasn't. And also, he went into the marriage with you being who you were, doing what you do. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not like... It's not like you had been making $200,000 a year and then suddenly stopped doing that. Like, no, like you were the same person, you know, in terms of your career and and probably your career was growing. I mean, I saw your career grow in front of my eyes. So, yeah, I mean, that's usually how it works, right? With age and experience, we're supposed to like grow. But if you don't allow your partner to find some footing and like grow within their you know, feel, then, mm-hmm. like, the whole point of being married is so that you grow together. But right. I just felt like I was never given that opportunity, but it was never expressed to me, and I was just supposed to know. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just supposed to anticipate their needs, their wants, whatever, without them saying yeah. a word. Yeah. I guess mine, the most, um, he always he always wanted alone time. Um, like he, he was kind of like an introvert or whatever, and he wanted some alone time and he would get really, really cranky with me and edgy with me and like, and, and I couldn't, there wouldn't have been anything I had done wrong or anything that I could have done differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and he would just be nasty to me, like for an entire night. And then at the end of the night, he'd be like, I really just needed alone time tonight. Why couldn't you just give me alone time? And it would, I'd be like, well, what you the didn't fuck? tell me that you wanted alone time. <laughs> like, if you had told me you wanted alone time, I would have said, cool, go do something. Like, yeah. whatever. Um, that's the best thing I can think of is that, like, yeah. at the end of, like, a, a bout of being really crabby with me, um, he would tell me afterwards, like, what he needed, but it wouldn't have been something I could have known without him telling me. So, yeah, yeah that happened. That did happen. <laughs> he did expect me to read his mind. There we go. We have an example. Yeah. Um, Number 15, you feel on edge around this person, but you still want them to like you. I feel like we kind of went into this a little bit last week um, when I shared the story and you shared a story of the same experience with me and my ex of like when I'm around people or when we're out doing something, I would always be like so on edge making sure that he was enjoying himself and that everything was going well and that he was having a good time. Like I was always so much more worried about him and I, and I was on edge because it was like everything needed to be just so or the whole thing could go awry. Mm-hmm. And yet... I still want him to like me. I want him to have a good time. Like, it's it's such a weird, crazy place to be of, like, being so worried about this person's well-being and having that be stressful and anxiety-ridden, but then also, like, just desperately wanting them to be happy with me. Right. Um. So very much, I, I feel like I was pretty much always on edge trying to make sure that he oh, was yeah. happy and always trying to make sure that I was, you know making him like me at the same time yeah Yeah. very much so what about you I think I'm I mean every narcissistic um relationship I think has that dynamic where you're constantly walking on eggshells because you you just never you just never know what's gonna like set them off and then cause a fight and then you know it just it's like a cycle so um I think also with the same thing in terms of like social circles I I know that like 
I would say I'm like more of an ambivert where I do, I'm naturally a more introverted person, but because of the nature of my job and my career, like it's really pulled me out of my shell. So I'm able to be extroverted in certain situations, especially if I'm surrounded by people that I know. And I'll probably bond with like, you know, a couple people here and there within the group. But like, you know, the ex had to be surrounded by like an entourage or like a whole audience of people and he would feed off of their reactions of like, you know, from his jokes or his stories or whatever. And, you know, I was always on the sidelines and obviously I would laugh and like every so often I would chime in. But it's like um, in the beginning of the relationship, he loved that I was able to also be engaging and be able to be social and like be just as charismatic as he was. But then later on, that became like, oh, no, like, what are you doing? And then later on, like, they would, he would, like, pull me aside and be like, oh, like, why did you have to say that? Or why did you have to make that joke? Like, you're embarrassing me or like, I don't know. So, like, I was always, like, careful with what I said. And then I would either get shot a glance from across the room or he would give me, like, a squeeze on the arm or, like, a a quick jab. Mm. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what did I say? And, you know, like, I know I'm crass. Like, I, I curse a lot and I can say a lot of crazy shit. But, um, you know, like, it's within people that we knew. Like, these were our friends and, like, they knew how I was. They knew how he was. It wasn't, like, a brand new thing. And it wasn't like I was putting on, like, you know, a fucking show for right. random strangers. He just didn't want you to be more adored or more interesting than he was basically yeah probably but that and like I just was always vying for his attention because I'm like okay if I stay in his good graces in this instance then uh we won't get into a fight later like that was like usually right yeah that was usually my mentality yeah always avoiding the fights like (laughs) that's just an ongoing like theme of this for sure is that it's if you find yourself having to say and do things that are against your own gut instinct just to avoid a fight like there you have it mm-hmm. <laughs> there you have it um so number 16 an unusual number of crazy people <laughs> in their past and crazy like is in quotation marks like crazy yeah. people i definitely um i mean this person he has no like ongoing long-standing friendships and relationships Hmm. he um does not have a relationship with his family and a lot of people like have to cut their families out because they're toxic like i i 100 support like cutting off relationships and communication with people um that are toxic in your life and we weren't all blessed to have amazing parents raise us Mm -hmm. um that being said he has nobody like he cuts everyone out of his life once they stop serving a purpose so wow um like his best friends from high school from college like they at this point are all gone from his life Mm -hmm. um but he would always tell me stories about like his exes and how they were crazy um in this way or that way so yeah um i mean that was just like pretty common like that the girlfriend right before me was crazy and obsessed with him mm-hmm. and wanted to trap him um you know that kind of stuff so i feel like you have that a little bit too kind of a similar thing where the exes were always crazy oh yeah like every single ex was either obsessed with him or they were crazy like they like were emotionally unstable um Mm -hmm. even like when he would talk about uh like family members who'd be like oh so and so is crazy um don't listen to them and then like if i had an instance where it would validate that claim they'd be like oh like what are you doing like why are you talking shit about my xyz you know, like whatever family Hmm. member it is. And like, that was something that always kind of like threw me for a loop because I'm like, okay, that's definitely hypocritical, which hits on our, you know, part one series. And, um, also the story. So there was, so we went to the same school. Um, and I know of his exes, two of them at least. And one of them, the story was that he caught her cheating on him 
like literally having sex with another man and he walked in on it and told me this whole thing about how traumatic it was and I don't doubt that like if it did really happen which at this point I'm like questioning the truth of it but if it did happen yes that's really traumatic and really stressful and you know he told me how he like beat him up and all of this and all of that and he's like yeah she was like a fucking slut and she was a you know this and she was that and like you know like I couldn't believe it and couldn't go to my dream college because of her and all of this other stuff and there was just like this very elaborate story so I think that also was a kind of like a weird conditioning story for me um because I'm like you know how could somebody who experienced something this terrible yes with cheating do it to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I feel like that was used to his benefit if it did happen like that's awful but I think he also used it as like a weapon to kind of like right she you know like to blind me pretty much yeah yeah exactly yeah my fuck boy did that um like he told me a big elaborate story about how he walked in on his ex-wife doing it with another dude like six months after their son was born was like the whole story um, and if that's true, to, like you said, if that's true, that's horrible and sad. But um, he would lean on that story all the time, like yeah. to mirror me and what I had been through. I actually um, found out he probably was never even really married. So I don't even oh. know if that story is true. No <laughs> so like, Holy yeah, shit. I don't know. It's all, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're all amazing detectives because oh, of man. these things that we've been through. So um what is it that i said it's yeah. the it's the shit that keeps shitting <laughs> yeah it's, it's like the diarrhea shit that keeps shitting <laughs> yeah um but i mean he would do the same thing like his his ex-wife was a crazy bitch in his words right, you know right. and i would be cautious of anyone who refers to an ex in name calling terms like i mean i have a nickname for my ex that we all call him by um <laughs> So I, I have to be slow to judge when somebody like just calls their ex-wife like that bitch. Like, I don't know. But um, but yeah, if somebody's like, oh, that crazy bitch, blah, 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 all the time, then it's like, eh, like you have to own, like I do own that I was not perfect in my marriage. That's not what this, that's not necessarily what this podcast is about. Right, but right. I am quick to talk about things that I could have done differently um, and ways that I could have been a better wife. I do think that I struggled to... Um, you know, maintain balance between my career and my marriage at times, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't remember, I don't even remember exactly where I was going. But like, I, I am willing to look at those things. I don't just refer to him as that crazy asshole and everything was his fault. I right, guess is what right. I'm getting at. But if somebody is doing that, if they're saying like, it was all their fault, they were a crazy bitch, like, that's a huge red flag. Yeah. Huge red flag. No, I mean, I definitely have my share of faults in the marriage, but, like, it's weird because, like, you know, I think we were talking about this when we were talking about the people-pleasing episode, where it's, Mm -hmm. like, you're in your 20s, you don't really know who you really are yet, and your career isn't exactly established unless you're lucky enough to, like, graduate from college and, like, immediately get into your field and, like, you know, hit the ground running and have that opportunity, but... Most of us don't. Like, we kind of figure that out during our 20s and some of us, you know, well into our 30s as well. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? But I feel like we also, it's the same thing for relationships too. Like, it's not like we're born knowing how to be in a a relationship. You know, you learn learn as you go, you know? Yeah, and if you don't have healthy examples in front of you, then you are really learning as you go. Right. Yeah, like you just do shitty things. Um, number 17. Provokes jealousy and rivalries while maintaining their own innocence. Oh, my God. Like, where where should I begin? <laughs> like, where? I don't, even, I don't even know where to start with this one because this, to me, is the art of triangulation. And this was, like, his favorite medium of oh. abuse was triangulation. Do you want to um, explain triangulation yes so triangulation is when you use 
people kind of against each other. So you can do it in a couple of different ways. Like some people will triangulate like a parent against their spouse. So like for you, Sue, that would have been your mother-in-law and you. Like you two were definitely kind of pitted against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it created like this triangle of drama between the three of you. Another way to triangulate is, um, and this is what mine love to do, is to like take affair partners and um, put them in the same vicinity as their spouse or their primary partner and create like this drama and competition because it makes them feel adored and it will oftentimes make the spouse like step up their game because subconsciously they know that they're competing for your affection, even if they don't know that there's something going on. So... Um, the first instance of that for me, um, well, would have been our first date, which I've described. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but then we went to, so like when we were 19 in South Dakota, one of the cool things to do was to go to to this restaurant called Perkins. And if you grew up in the Midwest, you know what Perkins is, but it's just a greasy spoon, open 24 hours diner. Mm -hmm. Um, and we would go there and like smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. This was when you could smoke inside. That's, I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, but he, like, at, like, one of our first times hanging out, he was like, hey, want to go to Perkins? And I was like, yeah, I love going to Perkins. Let's do that. So we go to Perkins, and there's multiple Perkins within town, but we went to one specific Perkins, and our waitress comes up, and she's like, oh, my God, hi, so-and-so to my ex and said his name and was, like, super excited to see him. And she's this really cute, perky, like, blonde, adorable girl. And come to find out, that was his ex-girlfriend from high school, like, long-term girlfriend. Oh. And he knew he knew she worked there. Like, it was, like, instant competition between wow. her and me. And he loved to take me to Perkins and make her be our waitress. Like, and I even told him that night, I was like, that's really uncomfortable. Like, why would you take me somewhere where you knew that your ex-girlfriend was going to be our server? And he was like, oh, you're being insecure. Like, like, yeah, she's really hot, but like, I'm with you and I like you and I think you're super cool. And... Like, you don't have anything to worry about, and you're just being too sensitive. Oh, my God. That's the line. You don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. (laughs) And also, that little jab in there of, like, she's super hot, but I'm with you. Right. Is It, like, immediately made, it, like, spurs that competition and, like, made me go into overdrive. And that was, like, very early on. And then um multiple affair partners were friends like i don't even i can't even tell you how many i mean i know um well for example the last one um the one that actually finally broke the marriage Mm -hmm. um was i considered her a very good friend like she was his boss and co-worker we would all hang out all the time um and like he loved it because like she would get super like emotional when he and I were together and we were all together like that would make her super emotional which would feed his ego and then I would feel that competition and I'd be like something's not right with you guys but then I would step up my game Mm -hmm. to try and like keep his attention which of course fed his ego so that was like his favorite thing was to like pit me against an affair partner and pit them against me and it just would get him more attention from both of us and feed his ego so that's that's triangulation and he did it all the time like I have like selfies in my phone of girl like going to shows with these girls and then I found out later like oh he was doing her oh my god (laughs) um so, yeah, it happened all the time. He loved, loved, loved to triangulate. And, of course, always maintaining his innocence of nothing is going on. You have nothing to worry about. Right. Um, you're being too sensitive. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Do you have anything on this one? Um, For me, it was always female coworkers. Like, that was always, like, a jab. Like, this is... So-and-so, um, he had the tendency to talk them up or talk about things, um, 
I don't know, like just like either physical attributes, like usually he'll say that they're ugly, but then I meet them in person and I'm like, holy shit, she's fucking gorgeous. Like, how do you consider this person ugly? And I think that was also a tactic too. Cause then I felt Mm -hmm. like, then I felt like super ugly and I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Like if you think she's ugly, then what do you think of me? Yeah. This woman is fucking gorgeous. Like, what are you talking about? And then also like he talked them up to the point where like, I guess like I've all, I already don't like them and I'm not that type of person where I just like, don't like people. Like I obviously like I have my inner like instincts about people and I'm like, Oh, like that person's probably not for me, but usually if it's women and it's somebody that is close to my partner, like I'm going to do my best to be their friend and like get along with them, you know? Cause like, if, if you're a friend of my partner's, then you're a friend of mine. Like, that's just the right. way I feel like things should be. And, like, I don't – like, at this age, now that I'm, you know, older, I realize, like, you know, I, I don't have this need to compete with other women. Like, we're not a competition. Like, I'm not competing with anybody. With I'm competing with myself. So that, right. to me, already set it up to the point where I'm automatically already jealous of them, even though I don't really have a reason to be jealous of them. Because mm-hmm. I, I never knew for sure if they – you know, had anything going on, but it always made me feel like I was like competing for their, for his attention and mm-hmm. with, with that person. And I'm like, okay, like this person is spending a lot of time with, um, you know, my partner after work, but like he's choosing to spend time with her, like to go get drinks and to go to shows, but not with me. So right. regardless of what's going on between them, like just that in itself used to get me so riled up. Well, yeah, because it was that is literally the person that's taking his attention away from you. Right. And we've already talked about how like that quality time was so important to you. Right. And it was just another person on the list that felt like it was above number 10 where you stood. So not good. Um, Number 18 is idealization, love bombing and flattery. So. Yeah, I mean, this is, like, early on, like, love bombing and idealization and flattery. This is when somebody is, like, so over the top in the early stages of the relationship. So, like, saying I love you after, like, a few weeks or even a month or two. Like, I I don't want to put a time limit on it because when you know, you know. And it could happen at a couple months. But, like you literally just met someone and you don't know anything about them and two weeks later they're telling you that they're in love with you that is an issue like you don't know me enough to know if you love me at that stage yeah um and that's very very much like the love bombing and the idealization of like oh my gosh I could like see a future with you and I can see how we could have a really strong relationship together and um also future faking goes hand in hand with that like that I see a future with you I could see you being the girl I marry things like right. that those are all under that category and mine mine definitely did that um I think I love yous were being shared like and granted we were 19 we were babies we mm-hmm. I think that's like a little normal at that stage to fall in love really quickly <laughs> um puppy love but yeah. he definitely did the future faking with like the family thing he would um like I remember like when we were young we would lay like we'd lay in bed and talk about what we were going to name our future kids like I wanted to have children and after we got married he kind of took that off the table like he was like Mm -hmm. I don't think I really want to have a family and he would use that to pull me back in like if we were going through a rough patch or like if I had found out that something had been going on and we had worked through it then he'd be like oh my gosh like I feel like we can overcome anything. Maybe we should start a family together. I could totally, like, he would dangle it to pull me back in when he felt like he was losing me. And then by the time I got hooked back in, then it would go back to, oh, now's really not a great time. I don't Uh, know if I really want to have kids. Um, Oh, my God. And so that was was a big one. Um, He would go back to that idealization, love bombing, flattery, future faking stage if he felt like he was really losing his grip on me and that would pull me back in and then the whole cycle would start back over again. 
Uh, did you, I'm sure that you went through a lot oh, of that yeah. stuff too, Sue. Big time. Um, I think in the beginning, I think there's also the comparing you to their exes. I think that's huge too, because um, that fits in with the idealization where they're like, oh, you're not like my ex. Like she did this, mm-hmm. but you don't do that. Or yeah. she didn't really have a fat ass, but you do. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, like things like that are like you have... <laughs> Like, he, this is something that Especially he would, like, Especially, like, say. material things like that. Yeah. Yeah, like, superficial things. He's like, oh, you have, like, such good head of hair. Like, your hair is even thick while it's wet. Whereas, like, my ex-girlfriend, like, if she had her hair wet, she looked like she was bald. And I'm like, okay. Ew. Like, you know, it, it's, like, it's that? flattery. It's flattery, and it does make you feel, like, more of a woman or, like, more attractive or just more appealing. Yeah. And, but it, it like plays on some of your insecurities too and it plays on the wrong parts I feel like I feel like if you find a good partner they obviously will compliment you on your appearances but they'll also compliment you on you know like your personality like oh I love that we have this in common I love that you do this it makes me feel mm-hmm. you know like this way but like it was always well, like physical and that even kind of goes back to number 17 where it's provoking like jealousy and rivalries. Like it's yeah. putting you in a level of com- competition and comparison where you're like comparing yourself to exes or other people in his life. Right. Um, and that's not that's not good for your self-esteem and it's not good for the relationship. It's um, definitely a part of that, but it's also some it's it's a form of triangulation for sure. Yeah. And um, I remember, like, early in the relationship, too, um, being showered with very thoughtful and, like, just, like, gifts that really I felt like was me. Like, he actually took the time out to think about, oh, like, you know, she does this, so I should get her this because it'll make her life easier. Or, you know, she really has a passion for this, like, I I should get her this. Like, and that slowly, slowly diminished as, you know, time went by. And, like, even, like, my engagement ring, it was not something that, you know, I would have even considered to look at. And I think, like, you know, given the circumstances, like, we were young and that was probably probably the only thing that was within his budget. But my brother was like, I was so disappointed when I saw the engagement ring because oh, no. it, like, wasn't you at all. And I couldn't believe that, you know, like you know, you're not, you're not into that kind of stuff. So it was just like weird. So I feel like the mm. gifts were a little bit, bit of like that love bombing too. Cause like at first mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, these gifts are amazing. They're so thoughtful. And like gifting is not really my love, like love language, but it's also an act of service. Like if you're going to give me something that's going to make my life easier, like that's amazing. Yeah. But then the gifts yeah. became less personal as time went on. And then I realized that. And then um, when the separation happened, I looked at all the stuff and I'm like, oh, there isn't really much that I was gifted. So I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wasn't ever given very much in terms of like long lasting gifts, like things that really stuck around. I got a couple of things here and there, but nothing major. Right. Um, I forgot what else I was going to say there. I had something else about it, but that's okay. Oh, I was going to say in terms of like that same stage, I didn't necessarily experience this myself, but another example, just a real world example would be like going on really extravagant dates really early on. So like if somebody drops a lot of money on a really expensive dinner or if they take you on an expensive trip within the first month or two, um, Like, that's the kind of stuff that would fall under that category as well, because, like, that's just really over the top. Like, unless someone has millions of dollars, I would not expect them to drop two, three hundred dollars on a first or second date going out to, like, a really extravagant restaurant. Right. Um, That's definitely a form of that as well and would be a red flag to look out for in terms of number 18. I mean, that happened to me with the Seattle trip when we had gotten back together. Yeah, that's right. He like surprised me with tickets to Seattle. He had used his mom's credit card and charged. Oh my God. Yeah, charged like this last minute, you know, like round trip for both of us to and from New York to Seattle and booked the hotel and everything. 
And then that's when I found out about, you know, him lying to the other woman saying that he's moving to Seattle. <laughs> oh, my God. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. That's so that crazy. was some weird ass fucking time. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, we I had 17 years of weird ass fucking time and you had something <laughs> close to that as well. So yeah. nothing surprises me anymore. It's no, crazy. <laughs> Um, so number 19 is they compare you to everyone else in their life. I feel like you kind of touched on that a little bit, like with him comparing you to exes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had this. And again, just because it's the most recent in memory. Um, but he loved to like compare me to these other people that he was spending his time with. But um, this one in the end, like I almost developed a complex about like being boring or not being fun to be around because he like I remember one specific instance. This would happen a lot, but this instance stands out to me that um, we had gone to a concert with a bunch of friends and we got home at the end of the concert. And he was like, I don't know if I want to go to concerts with you anymore. I'd rather go with these people because you just aren't any fun to be around anymore and you're not fun to go to shows with. And that was like something we had always done together as a couple was go to shows and things Mm -hmm. like that. And um, he just made me start comparing myself with like, oh, my gosh, like, why are these other people so much more fun than me? Why is this other person so much more fun than me? And um, he he loved to do that. I definitely have a little bit of a complex about like, am I fun enough? Am I fun? Mm -hmm. I know I'm fun, but it's it's (laughs) always there because of it. Yeah, what you're fun. You? You're fun, Darcy. I'm fu- I'm so fun. <laughs> God damn it. This is why God we're friends. It, because fun. if you weren't fun, I'd be like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I'm going to hang out with I these know. people. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm super fucking fun, okay? You are. <laughs> okay, what about you? Do you have anything where, no. I mean, I feel like you've got a little bit? No? I mean, I feel like I already talked about, you know, with, you know, the other one, but it's the same thing. Yeah. They kind of all melt yeah. together at some point. They do. They start to. Um, yeah. And then the last one, number 20, is the qualities they once claimed to admire about you suddenly become glaring faults. And this is another one where it's kind of melding a little bit for me because um, one of the things that he loved about me in the beginning was that I am super strong and independent and driven mm-hmm. and goal oriented. And he loved that about me. But then towards the middle and all the way to the end, my career and the drive became Mm -hmm. the big thing that was the wedge in our marriage that I, you know, that I was making my career more important than him all the time. And I feel like I worked really hard to try not to do that. Um, There were times I was not perfect, but he, it was like, that was the thing you loved about me though. And now this is the biggest problem you have with me is that I'm career driven. Yeah. Hmm. I think for me, it was um, like just being outspoken and upfront. Like I've always been pretty honest. I think I still have tact and I'm not like out to, you know, destroy people or, you know, hurt people with my words. But, you know, if if I see something that I don't like, I'm going to be like, hey, I didn't really like that. And I'm just going to confront you. And that was something that I think he had admired and he was like, oh, I love that you are just like open and honest and upfront and you don't beat around the bush, which is great. But then that became like something that he hated. And later on, he was just like, oh, like, why do you have to be like that? You're so crass. Like, you're so um, like you're too much, pretty much was basically like what he would say or like you're too aggressive or you're too like intense or. And, you know, it's funny, like, these are things that I hear when I'm dating now. They're like, oh, you're, like, really intense or, like, you're kind of a little bit, you know, direct. And I'm like, yeah, I am direct because, like, I don't have time for this, like, weird pussyfooting around and, like, being a little bitch. Like, if you want to be a little bitch, then, like, next. (laughs) You know? I mean, here we are. Like, we're dating in our mid-30s. Like, what are we here for if not to find a partner? And if we're not honest and upfront, then we're really just wasting our time. Yeah. So, next. next. Good day. Good day, sir. And like the sir, drinking thing. I said good day. <laughs> and the drinking thing. So obviously I drank a lot in my 20s and like mm-hmm. we 
would hang out, we would party, but we were like young. So that's like to be, you know, to be done at that time. And then, you know, as you age, like you kind of like chill out a little bit and you don't drink to get drunk and like you start to appreciate like cocktails and like artisanal drinks. Wait, when, and... when is this, when does this happen? What, drinking? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally just, I'm like, when is this supposed to happen? I'm 37 and I still like to drink to get drunk once in a while. <laughs> yeah, but you're not like doing thousands of shots and no. like pounding them down no. and like going no. to keg parties and whatnot. You know, like not that I did any of that stuff. I mean, maybe I did. I can't remember now. <laughs> I totally did. I went to a party like a little over a year ago where drinking was insane and that's when I brought my fuck boy home. So I don't know. I'm like, when do we stop drinking? <laughs> well, I stopped drinking. So I'm ta- I'm speaking for okay. me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it got to be a problem because, like, the more problems that arose in our relationship and, like, with the infidelity and, like, the lack of trust, and I was just very resentful. So I would go sometimes to a dark place when I would drink. And, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. forever banned from drinking whiskey because I become very, very mean and aggressive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was something that we bonded on. Like, we drank, we partied, we socialized. Like, that's something that we – he loved – And then it just became, like, something that he hated about me. But it was, like, fueled by all the stuff that was going on. And then when I quit drinking, he's like, you're no fun. Like, you don't even drink. So why are you even going to be there? Why are you going to come? But you wanted me to stop this. Right. And I had stopped because we were going to try to get pregnant at one point. Because finally, Mm -hmm. you know, I got the okay from him that, like, it's a go. So... I was like, okay, I'm going to start taking vitamins. I'm going to obviously quit smoking. And then I'm also going to stop drinking because I'm like, well, I just want to be really healthy. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting pregnant. So I was like, maybe it's me, you know? So I stopped drinking, but that also really put things into perspective of like reassessing my life. And I'm like, do I want to be in these weird social situations where everyone's like just plastered and... Like, I don't even like these people. (laughs) Like, I have nothing in common with half the people that we hang out with. So, like, I feel like it was really eye-opening for me. But also, he used that against me to be like, well, you're no fun. Like you said, you know, for your other example. Like, why Mm -hmm. are you going to come? And I don't really want to hang out with you because you're not going to be drinking. And you're going to be annoyed. And it would always be like, well, you this. And then you're going to be mad. And then it, yeah. It always became like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of the story of it, right? Like, right. They just they make everything that is you no longer enough. Right. So, ugh, just makes me sick. What a jerk! They're jerks. <laughs> <laughs> they were such jerks. Um. So yeah, that pretty much um, sums up numbers 11 through 20. And next week we're going to do 21 through 30. So we'll wrap up our series of red flags. And we would love to hear if you have any stories or thoughts. Um, We got an amazing listener email this week. Um, We got one a few weeks ago too. Like people are starting to send us like their story and like, they're writing it like as a book almost. And it's so amazing <laughs> yeah. to hear these stories and to hear what people, other people have been through oh and God, some yeah. of the parallels and some of the, the ways that their experiences were different and sometimes even more shocking. Like, um, so we love getting those at our email, which is firstwivespod at gmail.com. Um, I don't, do we want to talk about that we're going to do this, um, that we're going to do an Instagram live in a couple of weeks as well? Do we want to like yeah. share this fun news? I mean, we want to talk about figure it? Out, yeah, we, we have to figure out when would be a good time for both of us, but we would love to do an Instagram live where, you know, we can both be on. Cause like, as you guys know, we, we live in different States. So we record mm-hmm. this, you know, over the phone, like with our own recording devices and then, you know, edit them together. But it would be nice to, like, do something face-to-face with you, Darcy, like, on yeah. an actual platform and then have people um, either share stories or, like, ask questions and we can answer them live or, you know, we can come up with a topic to discuss and then, you know, you guys can log in and chime in and add your input or ask questions. 
Yeah, I think all of the above. We'll we'll have a yeah. topic that we're going to cover, and then it, it will also be a Q and A session. So um, right. if people have questions about our experiences or questions about our thoughts or advice, um, we'll be there to talk and chat and interact with you guys, like in a little bit more of a real live um, scenario. So I'm really excited for that. So stay tuned for a date and a time and a topic, but yes. we are in the planning stages of that. We will announce and then it of course, on social media, obviously. <laughs> obviously on social media, yes. Yeah. And our social media is First Wives Pod on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, right? Yep, yes. I'm missing and anything? Okay. Yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on that. And thank you for following us and listening to us con- you know, consistently. And, you know, thank you for being such a great audience. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.